At times, a coincidence seems random, but other times, a coincidence is just too conspicuous to be explained away. It is like the universe is telling you something by bringing you to an intersection of unusual elements. This happened to me lately after interviewing an artist and then listening to another podcast, where both mentioned music artists who were autistic or who were ADHD. In all of my experience with music artists, I had never thought about this much at all. After hearing bluesman Billy Seawertz talk about his work as an educator and being able to spot a number of notable artists over the decades who were somewhere along the spectrum, and then listening to the Comes a Time podcast episode with guest Peter Shapiro and host O'Teal Burbridge and Mike Fenoya, who joke about being just neurotic enough to be useful in juggling all their many tasks and challenges, I had to pause. I wondered why this topic came up in different contexts after hearing so little about it before. It got me thinking about what this coincidence might have been telling me, and I reflected on my own mental state. You know, I'm probably a bit neurotic myself, I thought. It is not full-blown OCD or ADHD, but I do tend to juggle a lot of things in my work, and at times it seems that the best way to complete any other task than the one at hand is to circle back to it in a process of taking turns, jumping in on those dozen or so other items on the back burners. Basically, I've always been someone who has a lot of work in front of me with different projects up in the air most of the time. And I've noticed a lot of music artists who do likewise, running side hustles, working day jobs that at times require advanced and entirely different skill sets, having hobbies outside of music, and so on. And I love to find out about so many dynamic people through this series. Dynamic is a good word to describe Brian Swink, who describes himself as an outgoing introvert and the world's okayest banjo player. He is a member of the four-piece band Big Daddy Love, and his composition Smoke Under the Water from their album This Time Around is playing now. Brian is also media director at Floyd Fest, one of the premier roots music festivals in the country, and he is a talent buyer at Rockwood Booking Agency. I caught up with him in Boone, North Carolina in June 2022 at the inaugural Boonerang Music and Arts Festival, which, of course, he was instrumental in bringing to life. It's been quite a whirlwind. I think I've had about... Oh, 10 hours sleep in the last three days, and um, uh, but it has all been so worth it, and we've just had the most magical time here. It's been, it's been so good. Ah, yes. Sleep deprivation, the constant companion to people in the music business. Brian talks about the music business, his rock and roll roots, and how they find their way into Big Daddy Loves Music. We pick up on a conversation started in our episode on Trey Wellington with the influence of rap and hip-hop and roots music and more, including Brian's story about how a painting of his band playing live sold for six figures. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick. Welcome to our episode on Brian Swink, here on Southern Songs and Stories.
Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Tell us about uh, Floyd Fest and your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the music business nowadays as people have come out of the pandemic or still coming out of the pandemic wherever we stand now (laughs) and the tendency for people is that they not all of them get back into the habit of going out and seeing live music and going to events yeah that's true um people are hesitant um you know hard ticket shows you know the clubs and stuff um, are not back to where they were in pre-pandemic levels. Um, you know, people are not getting to clubs at, on the same level as they were pre-pandemic. But um, most, I feel like most people do kind of feel safe with the outdoor events. So festivals are, are doing really good right now. But, um, you know, the, the clubs and venues are kind of, you know, just need to catch up. And, but that'll happen. What's your insight for someone that may want to open a venue or get into producing a festival? <laughs> Wow. You know, uh, we kind of joke, just just don't, you know, but (laughs) no, I mean, opening a venue is, is, uh, such hard work. Um, uh, you know, you get to be with so many artists and, uh, you know, you really get to bring so much joy into people's lives. I mean, music needs to be a break from your normal life. I mean, that is, that is what art is supposed to, supposed to do. What songs do you think we'll be singing a hundred years from now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, if I knew the answer to that, I would be a much richer man. Um, you know, I, I've just always loved the idea that somewhere right now a kid is practicing in his bedroom that will change the face of music. I've, I've always loved that idea. Somewhere a kid is in his bedroom, and, he, and little does he know, he or she, that he will change the face of music. So it's really exciting to see, you know, uh, what comes in the future. Talking about Big Daddy Love, I like to talk about the south a whole lot because it's southern songs and stories and usually get around to asking what your music reflects of the culture of the south be that in a regional sense or boiled down to the hometown that you live in or the family and friends in your circle and what might be unique about that that's in big daddy love you know we um we started calling our music appalachian rock um, pretty early on, um, we're, we're trying to, you know, when you're in a band, everybody asks you, how do you describe your music? Um, and these days, you know, when you play music, you just play everything. So that's, the, that's the normal, you know, Oh, we, we play a little bit of everything, but it's, but it's really cool to kind of come up with like a, a moniker or a tagline. And we came up with Appalachian rock cause you know, what we do is, is, is we all grew up on Southern rock and, and even some heavy metal and, you know, the guns and roses, you know, we were kids of the eighties, you know? Um, and then kind of, you know, then I got into bluegrass. So what we do is we mix a banjo sound with, with rock. Um, you know, Joey Riccio, he's, he's a phenomenal um, slide guitar player. I mean, the Dwayne Ullman style slide guitar. 
Um, and then we have, you know, a great bass player and, and drummer, Ashley and Scotty. Um, and they can just lay down just, you know, just amazing rock and funk and even reggae. And then we just put a banjo over top of it, you know, and somehow it fits. Uh, you know, so, you know, between all the southern rock and then a banjo and, you know, me and Joey came from Sparta, North Carolina, a little farming town in Allegheny County. Um, it, it just feels perfect. It feels natural to us. And uh, here we are. I mean, we I think we've been together for 13 years now and um, we're going as good as ever. And we're, we're just so happy to every time we step on stage together, we're just so happy to be together on stage, you know, which is kind of rare for a, for a band that's lasted for 13 years to enjoy being with each other that much. You know, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that you really see about, you know, one of our shows is I think you can tell that we, we just really enjoy being on stage and we're just happy to be there together. I came down from the mountain to bid for me a wife. I came down from the mountain to bid for me a wife. Well, I wouldn't make a good husband, I'm skilled with a gun and a knife. All oh, but city girls don't need a man to hunt for food nor build a fire. So I ended up lonesome and wandering in this life. Well, I ended up lonesome and wandering in this life. Well, I tried to find Jesus to help me with worry and strife. Oh, but Jesus don't need a man without a home, nor a wife. So I went down to West Ashville to find myself a job. Well, I went down to West Ashfield to find myself a job. Well, I picked a banjo for a living just to earn a dime. Oh, but Ashfield don't need a man who only plays old time. 
That's Down From The Mountain by Big Daddy Love from their 2011 album, Let It Grow, which is about Brian Swank moving from Boone to the big city of Asheville, North Carolina. Big city is said with tongue-in-cheek, of course, as Asheville remains a small, albeit growing city. While the phenomenon of music artists starting in the high country of Western North Carolina and eventually moving to Asheville is nothing new and remains alive and well, it is a bit like how so many players, songwriters, and industry types wind up in Nashville, only on a smaller scale. What seems like a newer phenomenon is the emergence of rap and hip-hop in roots music, and we touched on this in recent episodes on Trey Wellington and Dory Freeman. The confluence of these forms, which at first can seem like oil and water, are turning out to be fertile ground for innovation, from bands like Gangsta Grass, who like their name suggests, have one foot firmly planted in rap and the other in bluegrass, to artists like Dory Freeman, whose music remains entirely in the roots Americana tradition, while drawing insight and inspiration from rappers like Noga Erez, Jack Harlow, and Kendrick Lamar, the phenomenon is continually gaining steam. I asked Brian about his take on how this is becoming more and more a part of the roots music community. Yeah, you know, um, uh, people that age... You know, when they grow up, you can grow up in a, in a bluegrass family. You know, Trey grew up in a bluegrass county, Ash County. But he's still gonna, going to be exposed to all the, the new rap and hip-hop coming out. I mean, he probably knows it so well. I mean, he probably understands that music, um, and, and he's just listened to it. Um, uh, you, know, so, you know, anybody that age, we're all so connected with the Internet that we, we really do just listen to everything. So you can grow up in a bluegrass family um, these days and still just have um, so much... Uh, other things, you know, in your in your uh, in your heart, you know, and, and in your mind, that when you start playing a banjo or a fiddle or anything, you know, those things are still going to come out. Um, you know, that is one of the cool things about you know the internet is just how easy and accessible all types of music is, and and you can just be such a fan of everything that when 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 young, the younger generation starts making music, all this stuff is going to come out in a in a crazy beautiful mixture. And you don't know what's going to happen until it does. You know, it's like, um, uh, like the the next albums Trey uh, makes. Like we have no idea what he's going to come up with, and I cannot wait to hear it. I bet he's got things um, boiling around in his head right now that is just going to like blow, blow us away. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's one of the cool things about you know the future of music is like all these combinations of things that that are going to come out. Well, as a Gen Xer, you had a lot of different styles, as you've mentioned already, about having come up on rock and roll and all sorts of things. Before bluegrass, what was your gateway? Yeah, before bluegrass, so, um, you know, uh, I grew up in a bluegrass town as well. Um, Mom and dad and, you know, a lot of... A lot of friends play bluegrass. Um, you know, I always joked, um, uh, you know, that, you know, we grew up with Guns N' Roses and everything, um, uh, but eventually we we did make our way back to bluegrass. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, um, to this day, we still love finding those 80s rock songs um, to cover. Um, uh, we just played, uh, oh, my gosh, Poison's Talk Dirty to Me um, <laughs> at, at Merle Fest. And, uh, and it was so funny. I was like, I'm pretty sure we're the first band to ever play Poison at Merle Fest, but we just had to do it. And, and it was so fun to see the whole crowd just singing along the, the, the words and like just the smiles on the faces. Like when you see this rock band with a banjo, you know, covering these songs, um, you know, it, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, I grew up on a lot of um, Almond Brothers, Crosby, Stills and Nash. And then I started getting into, um, you know, Guns N' Roses and then Metallica. Um, and there's, there's a lot of run DMC in there and, and beastie boys. 
and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it took me to kind of get to 19 or 20 to come back to bluegrass. Um, uh, uh, so, I, you know, I went through that phase. And, it, and it's funny, a lot of metalheads either come back to bluegrass or discover bluegrass. I think we all love the intensity of the music, um, but then you kind of find the purity of bluegrass. So um, you'd be amazed to know how many bluegrassers, professional bluegrassers were metalheads when they were, you know, when they were young. Um, We love the speed. We love the energy. And then we discover bluegrass. Oh my gosh, like it's got that same speed and energy and it's, you know, and then you can also kind of get into jazz with it and everything. Mm -hmm. And we have all these players and they know all the same songs and you just discover the world of bluegrass and the community of it. Um, uh, so, you know, it's pretty cool to, to get into that world after, you know, being in the, in the rock and roll world for so long. It's great to look back on the history of say old time and bluegrass old time had been, and still, I guess is more traditional, more of a purist kind of form in the sense that it had these, this canon of songs and writing new music was pretty much discouraged. I think you could say it's it's pretty safe to say, um, and there are more old-time acts that are making original music now. Yes. But yep. bluegrass started out as a completely new invention. Yep. And it got a little rigid in that first generation following Bill Monroe's model before the second generation, the new grass, uh, Tony Rice, all, all those cats kind of broke that open a little bit. Yep. And now bluegrass has come around to attracting a lot of country music fans that don't get into bro country anymore. Sure. And you hear a lot of that country, what used to sound like mainstream country influence, kind of working its way into bluegrass and getting some of that sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, I'm going to go back to your point about um, how it got rigid and then, you know, each generation kind of finds, like, new artists. So Bailey Flag actually pointed out something about Billy Strings that I really like. Um, it's, it's about... Each generation needs to find their artist, you know, um, uh, that, you know, uh, th- this is my guy, you know, it's like, you know, the tw- uh, 20-year-olds, like, this is my guy. And so for Billy Strings is their guy. Now, a lot of older people love Billy Strings, too. I mean, I'm a huge fan. Older, You know, older people, you know, buy the tickets and the albums. But um, the kids right now love Billy Strings, and that is nothing but great for bluegrass music, you know, and, and that's what Bela was talking about. It's so good to have the young generation to find their guy to keep this music strong. And, and, you know, so I was kind of thinking about that. I mean, you know, there was the, uh, you know, the Flatten Scruggs and Bill Monroe, and, and that was kind of the new thing on the scene, and, and everybody gravitated towards that. And then the next generation kind of found, you know, John Hartford in the 70s, and they're like, oh, th- you know, this is our guy. This is our guy. We love John Hartford. And the next generation in the mid-'80s found Newgrass Revival, and they're like, oh, these are our guys right here. You know, th- this is our time. And, um, and, and today it's Billy Strings. I mean, like uh, the old Goonies quote, you know, this is our time. You know, this, mm-hmm. up there's your time. This is our time right here. And I've been thinking about that a lot here lately of just how important it is for each generation to find their artists that they're passionate about, that they follow, they can claim that it, it's, it's theirs, you know. And that's what keeps this uh, music so strong and vibrant and creative. And that's why Billy Strings is selling out. Um, crazy venues all over this country. I mean, what he has done, he, I mean, he's just completely um, revitalized the music and, and, and give, given it a shot in the arm. And, and I just love seeing the kids, um, you know, uh, gravitate towards him. Um, you know, even in the jam band scene and the rock scene, I mean, you got Goose coming up, same thing. You know, it's 20 year old kids that are buying these tickets and going to the shows. There's another band called Parcels. Um, I think they're originally from Australia, but they might be living in Germany now. Um, 
a couple of us from Floyd Fest went to check him out um, uh, at uh, the Orange Pill on a Monday night. It was, this was a Monday night. It was completely sold out. And 90% were like kids of like 22, 24 years old. And these kids have found these bands and they're, you know, and they love them. You know, they, they probably don't care about string cheese or, or fish or the Grateful Dead. Um, but this is, these are their bands that they're proud of finding and they're supporting. And so I, I just love that. I've been thinking about that so much lately. It's so important to get the next generation continually mm-hmm. hooked in with live music, with original live music, because there was a time when it looked like it was, the pendulum was swaying towards uh, some guy with a laptop sure. or, or clubs just saying, well, it's less expensive for us to just do a jukebox instead. Yeah, as a musician, we, we really see that. I mean, you know, w- when my dad was playing music when he was a teenager, um, you know, every high school prom had a live band, you know. I mean, so, so they were playing high school proms all over the place. I mean, they, you know, if you're a good musician and you could play Beatles songs, you know, you could play all over the place. And, and then that started switching to DJs and stuff like that. So, you know, you know, my point about, you know, uh, we – you know, on a Monday night, the orange peel is being sold out with kids who are like 20, 22, 24. Um, you know, somebody that works in the business or just just a music fan. That makes me so happy to see. And it, and it doesn't even matter if I like the music, like those bands I mentioned. I really like I really like them. They're great. But even if I don't like it, it it's the fact that they are discovering live music. People are on stage playing instruments, playing instruments really well, writing great songs and, and, and attracting these kids. And that's what just is, is so great to see. One thing that's uh, different from when you came up in the business is that you can go and you can study event production and management now. So how would you suggest somebody to become Brian Swink if they wanted to do so? You know, App State here has a great music industry program, and it's gotten better and better. And I, and I went through the music industries program here. Um, and uh, now they have a recording studio, um, you know, and they invite people like us to come back and, and talk. And, and we encourage um, these kids to volunteer at festivals and stuff like that. But honestly, um, uh, if you want to get into this world, the best thing you can do is, um, is just start volunteering at festivals. Go volunteer and, and work your way up. Um, there is no school that can give you the experience that you'll learn at working at you know three or four festivals each, each summer. Okay. Um, that is hands down the best way to do it because you start meeting people, um, and then you start traveling to other festivals and you get recommendations and you build up a resume. Um, you know our Floyd Fest staff, uh, a, a good bit of them travel all over the country and work festivals all over this country, um, and that's what they do. They're professional festival workers and they get paid well and they have a great life. And, and it takes a special personality to do it. I mean, you, you kind of live, got to live that vagabond lifestyle. And, um, you know, uh, you know, anytime we're together, I kind of remind myself, you know, uh, we are together because at heart we are vagabonds. You know, we love moving. We love, you know, you know we don't want to be settled. We want to go somewhere different and, 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 and have no idea what's going to happen to us. But we're going to get there and we're going to figure it out. And we're going to make it happen. And there's something about that for, for certain people that is just amazing. You can't stop doing it. I mean, I have friends who are, you know, 20 years older than me. They still travel all over the country working festivals, and uh, they can't stop doing it because it's, it's so exciting and it's such a great life, but it takes a very special personality to do it. One thing that's coming around a little bit now is NFTs. And mm-hmm. in music world, I saw last week, Umphreys McGee had a press release that they're offering an NFT and it's pretty amazing. It's a low cost, but lots and lots of Easter eggs and that you might get with the NFT. Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's definitely a lot of talk about it in the industry. Um, 
you know, as for good and for good and bad, you know, the internet really opened up everything. And and you know, the bad part was it basically made music for free. You know, I mean, you're recording music, you're spending m money in a studio, so people can listen to it for free. You know, and 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 that is, um, you know, that's really kind of hurt. You know, musicians. You know, back in the day, they could put out an album, it would sell, they would have enough money to live on for the year. They could tour, um, you know, and then they could spend three months writing, you know, and recording the next album. These days you can't do that. You've got to go in a studio. You have maybe five days. You've got to record the whole album in five days because you just can't afford to be in there that long. Um, so I, I, I do think it's a natural evolution of art and especially art in the digital space that we are going to figure out how to um, finally get the, the creative people paid for their work. And so the NFTs, to me, really does make sense. Like, all right, we, we figured this out. We, we, can, we can create something special. Um, sure, it can be replicated, but it's not this one. And for whatever reason, this one's special. It's tied to the blockchain. I mean, if you own it, you do own it, and, and it is worth something. Um, and, and just to see them finally figure that out and, and the money coming into it and people supporting it, um, you know, is, is getting these artists paid. So I love it. I hope it continues. I hope it grows. Um, uh, artists really do need this. Yeah, they do. Yeah. It's never easy. Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got a funny story. Um, uh, there's a painter that used to come to High Rock Outfitters when BDL would play and, or when bands would play, and, and he would do a, a live painting of the bands, you know, and he did it often, and his paintings were always really good. Um, like six months later, we, we played there and he did a painting. Six months later, he sent us a message. He's like, hey, so somebody bought my painting of y'all. And, uh, and then, then they sold it to um, uh, uh, an art broker in New York City. And then it got sold to another art broker in New York City. And this painting ended up selling for like $100,000 and is in some high rise in New York City that has went through these art brokers. For whatever reason... The first guy having it made it worth something, and then the second guy's like, "Oh, okay," and then he made it worth even more. I mean, is it worth a hundred thousand dollars? I don't know. Probably, definitely, probably not. You know, uh, but for some reason, they decided it was worth that money, and they kept paying for it. That gets us back to NFTs, right? Um, you know, if that was an NFT, the artist and possibly us would have made a little bit of money each time it was sold, and that's the that's kind of the magic of the NFT. So. Imagine if, we, if we'd have made a little bit of money each time that was sold that went back to the original artist. So, you know, that's a really good example of, of, of why this digital kind of revolution happening is, is such a good thing because it's set up so these original artists will get a residual every time it's sold. But, yeah, I, I just, I'm always blown away by that fact that we, our painting ended up in some high-rise in New York City. This is Air Bellows Gap, another Brian Swank composition by Big Daddy Love from their collection Let It Grow, which points to Brian's hometown of Sparta, North Carolina, where you can get on the Blue Ridge Parkway and take in a breathtaking view of the mountains for miles and miles from its 3,744-foot elevation. It gets its name from the howling winds that sweep over the mountain crest, especially in winter when gusts can easily top 100 miles an hour. That's about it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Could you help spread the word about this series? Step one, just follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where at step two, it will only take a moment to give us a good rating, then on to step three, where it's an option, a good review. 
Any and all of these are incredibly helpful in raising the profile of this series and the artists we profile. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it.